Good morning, ministers. We continue in our series today on the finer things from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And today we're talking about humility. And the first thing we learn about humility today is that humility is an attitude. Humility is an attitude. Paul the Apostle says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this attitude. An attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone. In this case, a settled way of thinking or feeling about myself. This way of thinking is reflected through my behavior. So to paraphrase, Paul wants us to think and to feel about ourselves the way Jesus felt and thought about himself. Have this attitude, the attitude of Jesus. And we have to make a distinction from the outset. And it is the distinction between how I perceive or how I feel and think about myself versus who I actually and truly am. There's a difference. There's a distinction. You see, Jesus, the Bible says here, already existed in the form of God. He is very God. From head to toe, from stem to stern, Jesus is God. And Jesus Christ was well aware that he is the Son of God. He didn't have an identity crisis. He didn't have a God complex. He knew who he was. And until I know, until you know who you truly are, until you acknowledge your true worth in the sight of God, or to say it another way, until I accept the dignity and the honor that has been ascribed to me as the image and likeness of God. Until you and I recognize our superior place in the cosmos as the reflection of God Almighty, we will not have the ability to give God glory. Until I know the glory that I possess, I have no glory to give to God. You see, you see, when I give God glory, I am giving God my glory. You ever think about that? When I give God glory, I am giving God my glory. I am giving God the glory that God has given to me. But if I don't recognize my own glory, then I have no glory to give. And if I do not recognize my own glory, my own value, and my own worth, I do not have the right to perceive myself any way I may choose. I don't even know who I am. 
I don't know myself. I don't understand myself. I don't understand my value, my uniqueness, or my worth in the sight of God. So that who I am and who I perceive myself to be can be two totally different things. You see, the way I feel about myself, the way you feel about yourself, does not necessarily comport to the reality of who you actually are, and it doesn't even have to. I can perceive myself however I choose to perceive myself, and my thoughts and my feelings about myself will inform my actions. What I am, what I am has already been settled since the day that I was conceived. I am a man. I can be nothing else. That was God's decision and as I said, I have no power to change or to alter the reality of what I am. I have no authority to think or to feel about myself, about my manhood in any way I choose. That choice is not mine. I was born man. I am a man. No matter what I look like, no matter how I dress, no matter how I carry myself, I am a man. And my gender is not the product of my perceptions. My gender does not bend to my thoughts and feelings about myself. My gender is not a social construct. It is a matter of fact. And this existential fact is not subject to my attitude or my self-perception. I am man no matter what I think I am. It is unchangeable. And also, also, the value of my person is unchangeable and unalterable. I exist in this world as the image and the likeness of God, period. That can't be changed. My class designation in the cosmos, your class designation in the cosmos is indisputable. And we have no power to adjust our worth or our value. It is settled. But how I think and feel about my value is my choice to make. <laughs> in fact, I have the authority, I have the duty to consider myself in the way that brings the most glory to God and the greatest benefit to my fellow man. Let me say that again. I have the authority and the duty to think and to feel about myself in the way that brings the most glory to God and the greatest benefit to mankind. So, Jesus already existed in the form of God. But the text says he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He's already in the form of God. His status is unchangeable and unalterable. His throne is forever established in heaven. Those are the facts. Those are the facts that Jesus could not and never would debate. He knows who he is. 
He is what he is. He is who he is. And his worth is immeasurable. That's the fact. But Jesus didn't view his value. Jesus didn't view his position as something to hold on to by force. He didn't consider it something to be jealously held on to. In other words, Jesus didn't think he needed to lean on his power. Jesus didn't think he needed to lean on his authority or his position in order to accomplish the task of saving the world. This, brothers and sisters, is too profound for me to put into words. This, brothers and sisters, is too great for me to completely fathom that Jesus Christ is sent into the world on a God-sized mission. But he doesn't think he needs to see himself as being the most qualified or the most capable. He doesn't think he needs to have boatloads of self-confidence to get the job done. Hmm. And as he emerged from that 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, prayer, and temptation by the devil, Jesus had greater clarity as to his person and his purpose than he ever had before. He knew who he is, the devil knew who he was, and soon the whole world would know who Jesus truly is. But in the meantime, and for the sake of others, Jesus embraced a particular attitude about himself. He embraced this attitude not for his own sake. He embraced this attitude not because he preferred to be something or someone else. He knew who he is. Yet he took on this attitude for the sake of others. Not out of personal need and not because of external pressure. Jesus didn't have to take on this attitude. Jesus Christ had every right to come out of that 40 days and 40 nights of fasting with pomp and circumstance. Jesus had every right to come out of those 40 days and 40 nights of prayer escorted by the seraphim and cherubim of heaven with praises being sung to his glorious name. He had every right to subdue every king and every kingdom and to set up his throne in the earth. He had every right to do it. He had every right to force everyone to bow immediately to his name. He had the right, the power, and the authority to do it. But had he done it that way, he would have been following an Old Testament paradigm, the Old Covenant presentation of God that caused so much dread and so much fear to mankind. Jesus could have come out of that 40 days and 40 nights of fasting with thunder and lightning, with earthquakes and fire and pillars of smoke had he wanted to. But that was the covenant of the law. Jesus' mission was a mission of grace. And to accomplish his mission, Jesus has to take a more gentle approach than God took in the Old Testament. All for the sake of his mission, he had to take a more gentle approach. 
This mission of mercy that Jesus Christ is on is God's final and most effective attempt at communicating his love, his mercy, and his desire for fellowship with mankind. Jesus Christ has come into the world to bring peace between God and men. And because of that mission, because of his purpose, it is crucial that he be approachable. In the Old Testament, you couldn't approach God on Mount Sinai. If you got too close to the mountain, you would be killed. Jesus has come, and it is important that he be more approachable. Jesus desires that his followers would also be approachable. That we conduct ourselves with humility so that all men feel comfortable and not threatened in our presence. Jesus came and he had to be approachable. To accomplish his mission, it was important that Jesus also be teachable. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. He was teachable. He wasn't a know-it-all with all the right answers, even though he knew it all and had all the right answers. (laughs) He couldn't appear to mankind in that way with arrogance. Jesus presented himself as a man who could learn and who could learn from others. He used examples about judges and kings and trees and wheat, things common to the average man. Jesus was an observer and a learner. He was teachable. All to accomplish his mission, he had to be approachable. He had to be teachable. And in order to accomplish his mission, Jesus had to be just as vulnerable as everyone else not use his position to protect himself against the vicissitudes of life. In other words, Jesus Christ came into the world and he had to fully and truthfully participate in human existence. And so Jesus had to make a choice. That's what an attitude is. That's what humility is. Humility is an attitude, but it's also a choice. And Jesus Christ's choice is informed by the glory of God and by the needs of others. We said that an attitude is a way of thinking and feeling about oneself that results in certain behaviors. And Jesus' attitude caused him, the Bible says in verse 7, caused him to empty himself by taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men. He emptied himself, kenosis. But by emptying himself, Jesus Christ did not discontinue to be who he actually is. He emptied himself of his rights and of his privileges to his position. He divested himself of his glorious throne. He laid aside his glorious possessions. Jesus deprived himself of his rightful power. He laid aside his titles and he declined his right to be treated with honor. Jesus Christ, God, became man. Hmm. 
He willingly gave himself, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ willingly gave himself a demotion so that we could be promoted. Jesus Christ voluntarily took a pay cut so that we could get a raise. <laughs> Jesus Christ suffered, bled, and died on the cross so that you and I could live. He emptied himself. And when he made the decision to empty himself, after all the dust had settled, the Bible says Jesus Christ appeared to others as a man. So first Jesus knew who he is. Then he felt like he didn't need to be defensive of his position or of his possessions. So he gave himself a demotion. For the sake of his mission, Jesus Christ resigned his position and laid waste to all of his possessions. And after that dust settled, what you saw was God as a baby in a manger. He changed his appearance to protect us and to protect the mission. And that is the purpose of humility. And that is what makes humility one of the most fine things. Humility, the thought and feeling that I have about myself that I voluntarily embrace for the sake of serving others and for the glory of my God, humility. The attitude that causes me to be so approachable that men and women come from miles around to rest in the shade of my presence and to experience their God, humility. The means through which I achieve a spiritual transparency, a translucency that allows others to see past me, to see through me, and to commune with their God who is in me. Jesus didn't see the need to present himself as almighty God. Because Jesus recognized that the greater value of being able to reveal God within himself is the greatest value of all. I will show you God in me. He could have come and said, I'm God. He could have proven himself to me immediately, but that wasn't the best. The best thing Jesus could have done was to come in the form of a man and to show me God within himself. Why is that? Because if God is in one man, then God can be in me. He wasn't trying to prove himself. He was trying to reveal Almighty God and reveal to us the truth that God can indeed reside within your bosom just as he does in mine. <laughs> Look closely and you see God in me. And when I'm humble, I become transparent and you can see him most clearly. When I move myself out of the equation, that's what humility is. When I move myself out of the equation, you see God in me. When I decrease, then God increases. That's humility. That is the purpose of humility. Humility is about just feeling bad about yourself. <laughs> 
thinking less about yours. That's not humility. That's called low self-esteem. Jesus knew who he is, and he voluntarily resigned his honor and resigned his privileges. That's humility. First, you've got to know who you are. First, you've got to know what you're giving up before you can let it go. I tell young people getting married all the time, you think we should get married now? Well, you know what, do you know yourself yet? Do you know yourself? What does that have to do with it? I'm in love. Look, before you go getting married, you better know who you are. Because when you make those promises in front of the altar before God and before witnesses, you're giving away something that you may not even know what you have. Know what you got before you give it away. You've got to know yourself before you can give yourself away. You've got to know what you got before you can empty yourself of what you have. Jesus knew who he was. He knew the value of his person. Therefore, he was able to give it away and to empty himself. I love it. With nothing to prove. And by emptying himself, by becoming translucent and transparent, Jesus Christ was able to ignite the imaginations of men, both then and now, causing us to be able to accept, to perceive, and to entertain the possibility of God abiding in me. That was the lesson that Jesus wanted to teach, that God can abide in you just as he does in me. Paul the Apostle says, if that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, that same spirit should quicken your mortal body and you should become as Christ is. That was the purpose. He humbled himself for the mission. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross authority, his power, and position. But he remained faithfully humble until the very end. Jesus Christ demonstrates who he is for a very brief moment on the Mount of Transfiguration before his inner circle. You know the story. They were up on top of the side of a mountain. And the Bible says Jesus' whole demeanor, his whole disposition, his whole uh, appearance changed right before their eyes. Those three men that were with Jesus Christ was able to see that Jesus Christ was truly God. They're looking at God manifest in the flesh. At any moment, Jesus could have done that, and he could have remained like that. He never had to change back into his earthly and vulnerable frame ever again. He could have decided, I like being who I am. I like showing who I am, and I'm going to remain this pillar of fire. No, no, no. He humbled himself again. He came back down and appeared as a man. At any moment, Jesus could have decided, I don't want to be humble anymore. I'm going to be who I truly am. In the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 53, Jesus lets you know that he's just being humble. Jesus lets you know that he's just being passive. When they come to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter jumps up and cuts off a man's ear, Jesus laid back humble. He could have burned down all those soldiers that came to get him. 
He could have just spoken one word and angels would have come and just taken all of them away. Jesus looks at Peter after Peter cuts off the man's ear and says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Why are you cutting off people's ear? Do you not know who I am? I know I don't seem like who I am. I know I don't appear to be who I really am, but this is just my humility. I know who I am. I know what I can do. I choose not to do it. <laughs> you don't have to defend me. I don't need to defend myself. I know who I am. But I've embraced humility for your sakes. I know who I am, but I am humbling myself for the sake of others, for the mission, and for the glory of my God. Put up your sword. That is the nature of humility. I don't humble myself for myself. I don't humble myself because I need, I need, to, think, I need to think low of myself. If I'm gonna give God glory, I have to think nothing of myself. That's not what humility is. Humility has a real purpose. Humility is always for the sake of someone else. Humility is always for the sake of the mission. Humility is a temporary and a practical means of self-projection to the world until the day that the mission of Jesus Christ has been accomplished. Humility is the weapon of heaven's spy. Humility allows us to blend in behind the scenes and to subvert the devil's plans and his schemes from the inside. Humility. Humility is the disguise that we wear in order to allay the fears of others, in order to make ourselves more approachable so they can feel free in our presence, to be who they are and ask the deep penetrating questions that they need to have answered. Humility. Without humility, brothers and sisters, we appear to be abrasive and superior and threatening. That kind of demeanor assures that people are not going to come to us seeking the kingdom of God. That disposition is not effective in the kingdom's cause. But we also understand, and we may as well be honest about it, that humility is quite inconvenient. Humility is inconvenient. Yes, it is. The self-imposed limitations that humility requires of me can sometimes feel tedious and burdensome. The self-abdication of my freedoms and my rights, my powers and my privileges as a child of God can sometimes feel humiliating, unnecessary, and even unfair. Humility is a difficult cross to bear. Humility can feel very inconvenient sometimes. But here's what humility informs me. Humility tells me that the kingdom mission eclipses my personal need for affirmation. Humility tells me that God's glory is superior to my personal satisfaction. Humility promises me that if I will faithfully tolerate this temporary imposition, that God will reimburse me in the end, just like he did his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. The text says this, for this reason, 
Because Jesus gladly and with a willing heart disassociated from his position of power, because Jesus Christ was willing to resign his post and to dismiss his honors, for this reason, God has highly exalted him. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and God will exalt you in due time. For this reason, because Jesus humbled himself, because he took on this attitude of humility and resigned his honor and his position, for this reason, God has highly exalted him. This is the ultimate benefit, brothers and sisters, of humility, exaltation. God has highly exalted Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ willingly made himself low. He didn't have to be cajoled. He didn't have to be coerced. He knew what was necessary in order to bring glory and the most glory to the name of God. He knew what was necessary to bring the greatest benefit to mankind and he chose to do so. He did it without a second thought, without flinching, with no regrets, with no inclination to change his posture or his stance. Jesus knew that he is great, but he viewed the vision of God for the world to be greater than himself, greater than his throne, greater than his name, even greater than his own life. That's how important the mission was. When we're humble, this is what our humility communicates to God our Father, that we recognize his will and his purpose for the world as being superior to our own worth and to our own value. His will is more important than my life. Hmm. That was Jesus' attitude. The will of God is more important than my name. The will of God is more important than who I know myself to be. I will change and become whatever I need to become for the sake of the will and the mission of God. That's what humility does. And because this was Jesus Christ's attitude, the text says that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. But wait a minute. That doesn't sound right. Does this mean that before Jesus submitted himself to death on the cross that his name wasn't already above every name? That doesn't sound right. Before Jesus Christ became man, before he became a baby in the crib, what other name was above his name in the beginning? What name was ever above the name of Jesus Christ? <laughs> The book of John chapter 1 says that in the beginning was the Word. Before the world was, was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word is God. He was in the beginning with God. By him all things were made, and without him was nothing made that has been made. It sounds to me like Jesus already had the highest name. So what is this that God did for Jesus in response to his voluntary, voluntary humility? What did God do? for Jesus. What the Father did for Jesus Christ is the same thing that the Father will do for us 
if we humble ourselves and consider our earthly lives of lesser import than his will. Jesus in humility took an intentional diminished view of himself in comparison to the will of God. He intentionally saw himself as being less relevant than God's purpose and he behaved himself in accordance with this attitude. He resigned his position. He decimated his glory. He retired his honor. And what did God do in response? God simply restored all that Jesus had given away. That's all he did. Every title that Jesus laid down, God gave it back to him. Every dignity, every power, every honor, God simply restored to Jesus Christ his rightful place. Jesus Christ is here, son of God, very God. And Jesus decides, I'm, I've got to resign, uh, Dad. Here's my, here's my resignation letter. I've got to go and save the world. So I'm leaving now. No, I don't need any angels to go with me. No, no cherubim or seraphim. I'm going by myself to take care of this business for you because this is very important to you. And Jesus comes down here demoted, demoted. Nobody respects him. Nobody seems to like him, rejected by men. And he's humble and he's broken. And he's somewhat depressed. Without his power, without his backup, just by himself. He says, you know what, I don't mind. God's mission for this world is more important than my comfort. I'll die on the cross. He dies on the cross and he raises from the dead. And God says, welcome back. Here's all the stuff you gave away. <laughs> he gave him back the glory that he divested himself of. That's all he did. <laughs> so when he gave away his glory, he was just putting it really in storage until he got finished with the mission. Then when he was finished with the mission, God opened the storage up and said, here, here's all the stuff you left behind, son. There you go. You're still who you always were. No matter how you think of yourself, no matter how you perceive yourself, you are and you will always be the son of God. <laughs> but in humility, he laid it down, put it in storage, put it in a lockbox. That's what God is requiring of us. I know who I am. I know the dignity and the value that I possess. And God is saying, good, Calvin, I'm glad you know who you are. Now lay it all aside for the purpose of my cause. And when this is all over, after you've suffered a while, when you get the glory, I'm going to open up your storage box and give it all back. That's humility. That is the purpose of humility. That is the benefit of humility. Verse 10 says, so that just as every knee had bowed before Jesus Christ took on the form of man, at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow again of those who are in heaven and those who are on earth and those who are even under the earth. Jesus Christ sat on high. He made himself low and God restored him to his previous height once again. So that just as every tongue had confessed before he transformed into a baby in a manger, every tongue will confess once again that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the mystery of true humility. That no matter how low I choose to be or become, 
for the cause of God's kingdom. It is always only a temporary resignation. Humility is a temporary resignation. Humility does not impact the reality of who I truly and actually am one bit. We are the children of God, brothers and sisters, with rights and powers and authorities and privileges that we may assert as we see fit. But God's desire is that we would willingly and joyfully divest ourselves of the convenience that is our rightful due in order to appear before unbelievers as mere vulnerable men and women just like them so that we can save the lost. It's not about me receiving affirmation. It is about saving the lost. And through humility, we can save some. We become whatever we need to become for the sake of others. We become whatever we need to become for the glory of God. And for our inconvenience, in the end, God will restore us to the true glory that we always were, the image and the likeness of God. In the end, God will remove the disguise of my humility and my face will shine with the light of God's glorious countenance once again and I will be transformed into who I truly am. John says, brothers and sisters, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know this, that we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. In fact, in the spirit world, I'm already like him. In the spirit, you're already just like Jesus. You are a child of God. You're already like Jesus in the spirit. Your life may not reflect it as it should, but in the spirit, you're already like Jesus. The devil knows it. The devil knows who you are already. What we do through humility is we conceal who we truly are for the sake of being approachable for others, for the sake of accomplishing the mission of God, a mission that can only be accomplished through my suffering, through my brokenness, through my pain. And so for now, we stand in the world demoted, not receiving the honor that we are actually due as the children of God, and we don't mind at all. I don't need to be treated with any special favor. I don't need to be treated with any special dignity. I'm here on a mission for God and God alone. I'm not here for myself. I'm here for the mission. <laughs> and whatever the mission requires me to be, whatever disguise I need to put on in order to accomplish God's purpose in the world, I'm willing to do just that. I don't consider equality with God something I need to, be, to grasp or hold on to. I can release all of my position and my possession and my honor and my titles. And I can humble myself as low as the dust and lay beside the homeless person on the street and have a conversation because I consider myself to be nothing in this world. My role here is to be completely transparent. That's what Paul the Apostle means when he says, I am dead. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me. It's Jesus Christ living in me. What he's saying is, I have resigned myself. <laughs> I have released myself of all of my honor. I have given it all to God. And who you see right now is Jesus Christ and not Calvin. Calvin's already gone. I'm not worrying about Calvin. Jesus Christ is here in Calvin's stead. <laughs> 
That's what humility does. It makes us transparent then. So that people can see God through us. It causes us to decrease so that God can increase in our lives, so that God can be manifest through us. God does not show up in people's lives when they are filled with pride. That pride becomes a barrier that keeps people from seeing Christ in me. Pride uh, distracts from the glory of God. Humility brings down the shade and allows people to look at me and say, you've had it happen to you, I'm sure. Where you're in prayer, you're on one of those spiritual highs. You know we get those spiritual highs, those spiritual lows. Sometimes we're on the mountaintop spiritually. And someone will walk up to you and start talking about personal, intimate details about their lives. And you don't even know this person. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Where somebody just starts talking to you about really deeply personal, intimate stuff. It's kind of off-putting at first. Like, why is this lady telling me this? But then you remember, because of humility, she's not even talking to you. She's talking to Christ in you. She can see it. She can sense it. She can feel it. When you are humble, more people will come to you that need deliverance, that need help, that need healing, because they're not looking at you. Your humility is allowing them to look through you and to see their Savior. That is the power of humility. And that's what makes humility one of the finer things. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning for every trial, for every struggle, for every temptation, for every hurt, every pain, every trauma. It has caused us to become broken that has humbled us. Because this morning we recognize that it is through those sufferings, through that pain, that Jesus Christ is most effectively reflected to the world through us. Thank you for the trials that bring us humility. Thank you for the stumbles and the falls and the struggles that cause us to recognize who we truly are. Thank you for giving us a healthy mindset to see and to perceive ourselves for who we truly are and the power and ability to lay down our glory for the cause of Jesus Christ. What we pray for this morning then is not for more trials, but that you will begin to train us how to humble ourselves in your presence in prayer so that we can learn how to intentionally divest ourselves of our need for honor, recognition, affirmation, so that we can humble ourselves early in the morning, removing ourselves out of the equation, diminishing our worth and our value for the sake of someone else. Through humility, Father God, make us more approachable. Cause us to be more teachable and open to others. Send people in our way who need to have a conversation with you Help us to die to ourselves so that Jesus Christ can live and be manifest through us to this dying and broken world. This is your purpose for us. This was your purpose for your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we desire to be conformed to this image, the image 
of humility. In Jesus' name. Amen.